that's a fun way to start. The show. It is. It's amazing. That's why we're professional broadcasters, bickering back and forth like old women. Hey, do you use um, DigitalOcean or have you ever? It sounds familiar. You know, are they? Um, well, yeah, they're. They, you know, they have the droplets. It's actually really badass uh, because it's so easy just to get in there and like kick off a, you know, some a, a, a computer, a box. What do we call them nowadays? A VM, I guess. <clears throat> they mm-hmm. have these. They call them droplets, and they're just like pre-configured ones and there's there's droplets that are configured with you know go was it ghost or all these different blogging things and just uh, all kinds of different software uh, i gotta find it now but anyway they do a i guess it's a annual thing now but what do they call this currents a quarterly report on developer trends in the cloud it's not real detailed in fact i don't know maybe i just didn't drill down i just read kind of like the top level thing but it's kind of interesting you're right in line with most tech journalists. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> oh, and I'm not prepared with any any of my soundboard stuff. Uh, see, I, I'm not. Just, someone needs to write me some soundboard software. That's that's my problem. You're so entitled. Someone needs to do it for you, huh? Well, either that or we find one that that works. Let's try this. Keep in mind. No, oh, that's wrong. That's not coming through the that's mic. It's not coming through the right hole. Keep in mind, <laughs> these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. I love that show. You didn't watch that show, do you? God, mm-hmm. you're missing out so much. Oh my gosh. Everyone, Which tell show him, again? everyone, bug John. Tell him he should be watching Silicon Valley. What is what? What is it? Come on. It, <laughs> HBO. I see. I don't have HBO. Well, you can get it. You could you could get HBO for like ten bucks a month and just and uh, what is it? What is it called when you burst watch things? Churn, binge. Binge. Thank you. Yeah, you can binge watch it. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad term, is it? <laughs> Just a point across. All right, back to uh, DigitalOcean and their and their currents. They uh, they say that containers are are at a tipping point. Forty nine percent of developers are now using them, with container technology and management tools achieving a rapid pace over last year. Containers are becoming a go to tool in the developer arsenal. So, is this a competitor to Docker, the lightweight container? No, I mean, they're saying, so DigitalOcean is basically an infrastructure as a service, or maybe they do some past stuff too, but mainly, Mm. so no, they compete with like, you know, Amazon and maybe Heroku a little bit or something, I don't know. But they're just saying people, I guess they're, they're, I mean, they're surveying their, um, I guess their users, Mm -hmm. their customers or whatever, developers at their customers. So they're not, they're not competing with containers. They actually, they run, you can run containers on their platform. Okay. Um, it, they also said container this, for your containers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's containers all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> Serverless computing is in a much earlier stage of adoption, with nearly half of developers failing to clearly understand what it is. Well, see there. Now, see, I think this thing was serverless. It sounds like it's some mystical, you know, amazing technology that even requires servers. It's magic. But you know what it is? No software. Here's my. Here's how I describe serverless computing to people. It's like what you thought hosting was. You, you can run your code on their server. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to run and manage the server. You don't have to like, you're not responsible for the administration of the server, even though it's on someone else's infrastructure. Like they administer it all for you. You don't even have to care about the server. It's still running on a server though. Mm-hmm. We already learned this lesson it, with Salesforce like, and no, the no it, software. It's shared hosting. Do you remember it's, shared hosting when you got your PHP shared hosting account for five bucks a month or whatever and you still, run your PHP s- site? <laughs> We, we still do that, don't we? Yeah, um, but that's basically what it is. It's just if yeah. you want to run your, you know, your Java or your, uh, you know, your cloud functions or whatever, you know, 
it's shared shared hosting for cloud functions. Anyway, um, and th- a lot of the questions they were asking, I guess, were employment based. And I've just got a couple highlights here. But opportunity for growth and development is the most important things developers want in their job. Yep, I agree. But I've seen other surveys, and I can't remember which one it was. It was really recent, though, that were, and it might have been this one that they ask a question a different way, and different things float to the top. But um, salary was the n- number one thing. Was the number one priority. It's like salaries of, and I don't know, it's, it's good. It's, it's like when you ask customers what their priority is on features, whatever they say, oh, all of them. They're all high priority. Yeah. And it's like, no. <laughs> no, they're not. I'd say that's, that's the order I would put them in. I'd definitely put salary, got to feed the family as number one, but number two is definitely growth opportunities. It's tough. I mean, yeah, and it, at some point, I mean, it's not that it doesn't matter, but at some point, whatever you're getting paid, it, it it kind of pales in comparison to whether or not you're enjoying or you feel like you're getting somewhere with your job. Yeah. I'm not sure if I said that the right yeah, way. Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with you in a way, like salary, I saw, it's like, you know, you're just your compensation package in general, it's got to be like the most important thing, kind of, but it can't be at the expense of, yeah. like, there are other requirements too, like, you also have to have something that you're happy with or something that, you know, there's some growth or whatever your other goals are, but... You know, and and also back to serverless. Um, do you remember uh, who was it that <clears throat> popped in the Slack the other day and said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna post this article about how Salesforce is actually serverless." Um, I remember that, but I don't remember who. Yeah, and I'm not sure. That was a, what, that was a, what, oh, a that ago? was a, that was a squid, a squid guy, wasn't was it? it? I thought. I th- oh, was it not? Squid? No, it was um blue. What are they called? Blue something. They're one of these deployment yeah. tools. Ah, I forget the name. I'll, I'll try to remember and put it in the show notes because I feel bad. I can't remember now. What are they called? Um, let's see. Salesforce Deployment Blue. Sure, that comes up. Blue Canvas. Blue there Canvas. You go. I, I, I don't think I actually read that article. Or maybe I did. I can't remember. But um, it was it, it's an interesting idea that, like, is Salesforce actually serverless? Kind of is. Actually, I think you can make a good argument because it fits my description of it, which is you're running your code on shared on the cable modem model of enterprise computing. <laughs> why, why you got to say it that way? Because that's what it is. <laughs> so yeah, Salesforce is serverless. You don't. I mean, it's run, yes, your stuff's running on servers, but you don't have to care about them. It's also they softwareless. Softwareless. Mm-hmm. No software. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, no software. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to acknowledge I said that for like three times. Not really, sorry. I'm, I guess I should warn. I have like this weird shoulder pinch nerve thing and mm-hmm. I didn't get enough sleep. So I'm kind of, I'm struggling today. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be rough. It's already rough. It's, the day's been rough. It's not even noon yet. This is another, another factoid early. where you're recording early. That means a sober episode. Another sober, two in a row. Wow. It's like we're on a program here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, uh, back to the thing. Bootcamp, the, the bootcamp is still like a, a hot topic. Bootcamps. Really? Yeah, because so many people, I think it's a couple of things. Number one, and I feel like this has been this way for a while, but lots of programmers just didn't go to college for programming. Yeah. That's one thing that, um, but also that I guess the explosion in demand for programmers means that you've got to take people who don't have time to go to school for it or don't want to go to school for it, or they already, they already went to school. They went to school for something else, and they're not going to go back to school. So how do you take people who are interested in switching careers and get them up to speed? 
teach them, you know, <laughs> teach them some, I would, I some kinda, JavaScript and some CSS and call it, call I it good. I was kind of viewed it as, you know, there's this, as, as new, ne- as new frameworks or languages or technologies come up, I mean, it, it's a kind of an immersive way to get, get, get started, but yeah, uh, I, I don't see it as a, people always, they seem to always be in the context of people that are starting from zero though, not from, because I think if you're an experienced developer and like, let's say, you know, react really well and you want to learn view, you're not going to go to bootcamp for that. You're just going to read the docs and Get, and do some getting started because it, it's the same. You know, it's again like well, don't you know how to program pretty well in one programming language? Like, all right, what's the syntax to declare a variable? What's the syntax? What's my four yeah, syntax? Like, how do what's I loop my... through something? Yeah, right. What are the what are the what are the basic primitives of this language and the syntax for them? If you, if you're allowed to get that low, right. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like boot camps and just reading through some of these questions. I mean, they're they're still kind of controversial. Uh, some people like. I think, I don't remember where it was in here, but somewhere it said, they, they asked the question, you know, did you, when you've been on interviews, has it been a problem that you like learned via bootcamp? And like 50% of them said it was a problem in their interview. Hmm. Was it because their sole experience was through a bootcamp? Could have been, I don't know. Because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that being a deterrent unless that was your only experience. And I, th- I think bootcamps are new enough. Was that my computer? No, it was me, oh. sorry. I think bootcamps are new enough that a lot of, uh, I would say, like more mature employers, not necessarily mature in a good way. Th- they don't. They haven't responded quite well to. It. They don't know how to handle like people who are boot camp graduates. They don't know how to evaluate them. It's like, oh, Com- you don't have a college degree. Companies and you know? HR departments on big enterprise that they still haven't caught up to. No, I know. to the modern day. Yeah. But uh, it says boot camp participants feel more prepared for the workforce than college graduates do. Oh, then it says, however, nearly half feel it can sometimes be a disadvantage in job interviews. Well, I think, I mean, there's, there's, there's increasing kind of skepticism about college degrees as well, just and mainly because of the cost. It's just exorbitant. The out of cost control, of them. and so many people graduate with no Well, they graduate with skill. degrees that just mean nothing. But that used to, you know, having like a good, like liberal arts education used to mean that you were prepared for all kinds of jobs. And, but now it's like, I guess because everything's so STEM mm-hmm. that... How are you possibly going to get a STEM type job? But I don't. I, the other jobs are just going away. Like, well, AI is going to take over the world and the fourth industrial revolution. Well, that's why I wonder why people. Why are so many people? And I know we're just getting off in the weeds here, but why are why are we still encouraging so many people? Like, coding is the answer for everything. We got presidents running coding programs, and I swear the NFL has a coding program. Everyone's got these. Yeah. Everyone got in code. And it's like, why? For what jobs do you think are going to be available? Everything's going to be no code. I mean, Salesforce announced today that all this new Einstein stuff they're releasing no code. It's like, I mean, already like that stuff that you and I would have done. We would have been the ones who coded it, mm-hmm. but it's no code. So, okay, well, there goes that work. And that's just an itty bitty example. But if, if, what's, if, if what happens, you know, is what people, a lot of people are saying is going to happen, then I don't know what these people are going to do. That's why we need universal basic income, John. Still not a fan of that. <laughs> And I, I still don't subscribe to the idea that we're going to be out of a job. I just, I don't see it. I just, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, don't think we're going to be doing what we are doing today, that's for sure. I don't know. What, what I read, I had this article queued up. Um, it was a BBC article about a, a person who got a note from PayPal um, because they died and it was against their terms or something like that. <laughs> okay, it, was, it said, what? you are in breach of condition 15.4C of your agreement with PayPal credit as we have received notice that you are deceased. This breach is not capable of remedy. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we could, 
we could uh, somehow bring them back, maybe? It's just, it's just one of those automated messages that yeah. just went out. I mean, ad, just automation some, just isn't... Some, someone was... We're people and we yeah. like interacting with people. No, some program was implementing the requirements as given. Like, well, this seems dumb, but okay, I'll go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's I'm going to send an email to dead people. <laughs> Letting, well, not only that, it was printed. It was a printed letter. So oh, this, wow. uh, this whole operation involved many people. Well, it was probably all automated from, from start to finish, but still. Yeah. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, back to the, what are we going to be doing? I, I mean, do you think we're going to be writing triggers in 10 years? Hmm. I don't know, maybe. I, I don't think so. Not, not like, nothing like we are now. Well, what is the trigger doing that you think we're not going to be doing anymore? No, I think, I think people will get the functionality they need that just won't be via triggers. Yeah, maybe. So, I don't know. You're assuming that the world is going to be completely connected with AI and that AI is going to be able to talk to any other system out, any other AI system in the world. I just don't see that happening. It may be great at its small, confined system, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's going to branch out and network automatically with all these other systems. I just, I don't see don't that. Don't you listen to, um, what's the, what's the, guy, even, what's the guy who spews the futuristic stuff all the time at Salesforce? Uh, Peter Coffey. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't buy it. I, and I don't buy the security implication, implication, implement, ugh. This is sober. I can't say this word. Implication? <laughs> Implications. Okay. I just, I don't buy it. All these systems are just going to automatically con connect and start sharing and pushing data. Without no, but, no, but there will be more, much more human interfaces to tell the system what you want it to do, and, the, and it'll figure out how to do it. Uh, and it, you may have to guide it. Like I might say, oh, this field to this field, or like, you know, whatever. But yeah, they're, they're going to be, it's going to be different, man. That's for I sure. don't think so. Okay. I remember back in the day when they were envisioning all these VR systems and people interacting with systems through VR technology, and it's just not productive. I mean, look at the, have you seen like the Windows VR, like Windows OS in VR? Mm -mm. Like you've got these rooms and you've got these walls and you can put stuff on the walls, you can put apps on the walls, but you still got to like walk to the wall to get to the app you want to use. And you can That's set right. things up and you got this entire space in this house, but you got to walk to it. How is that efficient and productive? Didn't Second Life already fail once? Yeah, pretty much. What, what happened to the second I don't, know. I don't know. Remember, I know this... remember how that was, gonna, that was the biggest thing? It was going to take over. We, everyone was going to be doing business in Second Life. People were doing business in Second Life. Yeah. And companies like staked out their, their ground in, in Second Life because they thought, I mean, I remember IBM and a lot of other companies, they, you know, they had, they like built up their presence in Second Life, you know, because they were afraid that it was going to take off. Yeah. I just, I don't buy it. It's not efficient. It's not productive. Yeah. We, we've built these systems and we've designed them in a way that... But I'm talking about things that are efficient and productive, much more efficient and productive. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not willing to give up. Oh, I mean, sorry. I'm not willing to give again. up. I'm not set up correctly <laughs> again. I think I need to move this over here so that it's this way. That's Maybe, what I need to do. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I, I see your skepticism because we've been... I mean, my whole life... I've had to sit through demos of people coming in, vendors coming in and promising no smart code, systems, low code, really point and systems, click, drag yeah. and drop, and it all sucks. It always has sucked, and it still sucks. It still And even where, where it doesn't, it's, it's, it's not a tailored experience. It's, I mean, it's just like going to the store and buying your clothes off the rack versus getting them tailored. Yeah, it's like if you don't care that much. Yeah. How they look, how it fits, you know, how long it's going to last. If you don't care about any of that stuff, then yeah, just like... 
order your clothes in bulk from, you know, Hanes or something. (laughs) 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 And it's one size fits all. That's fine. And if that's good enough for you, then yeah, don't, don't do anything that's more expensive. AI is like stretchy pants. (laughs) (laughs) It grows with you. All right. What else? Um, employers are still warming to boot camps. Did we say that? Yeah. Kubernetes was the most popular container like orchestration. Is that what they're called? I guess thing. But small companies use Docker Swarm more, which this blows my mind. Um, I don't know if you follow like Swarm versus Kubernetes and Mesos and no. all these different uh, things, but I, I actually think that Docker Docker is planning on like either just ending Swarm or like migrating it to. I think they're going to. Just go to Kubernetes. It's, and it's such a weird story, too, because, if, I mean, there was a point in time when Swarm was like, that was kind of the main thing that you would use to orchestrate your containers. And they just sat by, I feel like, and watched Kubernetes. And, it, of course, maybe, you know, I guess you're competing with Google, Google's power, because yeah. although they donated Kubernetes to, I think, the CNCF, um, you know, Google was able to put how much ever investment into it they wanted to. It was their project. But that was, you know, that was that was how Docker was going to make money, and you know, the, I don't know if you you follow like the Docker's. Um, and I, I, they've taken several rounds of funding, and I think their latest valuation was, I don't know, it was it's so high. I'm just, it, they, I feel like they're beyond, they're beyond the ability to be acquired now. So they're underway for IPO. You think? I don't think they can IPO. I don't think they can IPO. I don't, I don't think they can be acquired. Hmm. Because they they've just taken too much money. It'd be it'd be I don't know. I mean, all the investors would. Totally but they can't put, be acquired. I mean, IPO is the next <clears throat> logical step for investors to try to make some money out of it, right? But I, I think it would be to try to just get some money back. Yeah. But again, if they don't, if their plan hasn't worked out, you know, revenue wise, then you know, going public doesn't solve that. No, but it delays things a bit, and people can cash out. <laughs> but I just yeah, I guess you know, you yeah, you you. Get schmucks who are what is what is that other uh, company that's not doing too well right now? Is it um they fell below their IPO recently? Oh, I saw that. Yeah, who was that? That was just yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah. It was another one of those one of those uh, tech companies that hadn't proven its business model went IPO and struggling. Who was that? Um, Snap of oh, Snap, huh? I think so. Yeah, I, I've always thought they're screwed. Um, they can't compete with, especially once Instagram added stories. And I don't use any of these things. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. I do have Snapchat, but I just, I use it like once every 60 days or someone sends me a snap. I'm, I'm off social media. I'm done with it. But I don't do Instagram. I don't really understand it. I don't want to understand it. It's like, what, what I don't understand is, is have we, have humans really devolved to just like communicating via just images only? Like we're, we're not even using words anymore, just images. That's what Instagram is. It's so superficial. It's just, it just seems so superficial that I just, it's not something I want to be a part of. It's more, it's like the filtered life, you know? It's like everything's filtered. Well, you had that with Facebook too. We call it the Facebook life. Yeah. Well, not on Facebook. I mean, people, people post these. I got probably the same thing on Instagram, but I see it on Facebook. I mean, so many people, when they post photos of themselves, they use one of these apps that I think you can probably use it through Facebook that smooths all your skin over. It's like the skin smoothing app. And I've got friends who are like, you know, in their mid forties. And they're posting these photos of themselves. It's mainly women. And I'm just like, really? Do you think that people think that you have the skin of a newborn's butt? 
on your face? Maybe. I mean, people, you know, it just, it doesn't. Maybe they found the fountain <laughs> of youth. Or worse, you compliment them how great they look, and they're like, yeah, it's just a filter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm going to Photoshop my, my, uh, my love handles down. Yeah. No, yeah, it's like me, you know, painting a six pack on or something. No, no one's going to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, there was, there was a few, I don't know, other things in there, but those were the ones that jumped out at me. I do. I wanted to tell a story. I did something that was, ended up being kind of, kind of fun. So my challenge was, um, this is a, an application that runs, I'm trying to think what I can say about this, runs um, on AWS and needed to, got to a feature where I needed to um, have the ability for users to upload files. Okay. <clears throat> and with typical security and, and like similar security, like, uh, well, like, you know, user uploads a file and, and depending on like what they uploaded it to, like what they attached it to or what the context was, you know, it needs to be accessible to that user that the file does mm-hmm. and potentially other users, depending on like if they have access to the thing that the file was attached to or whatever. But I mean, the first, the primary thing I had to solve was, okay, so my, you know, the database in this project is Postgres and Postgres, you can, you can, I mean, it'll hold binary data. So you could create a, you know, a, a file table with, you know, user ID, created date, you know, maybe parent ID if attached to something and then like a, a, a blob column, right? With mm-hmm. the body. Could have done that, but, you know, I, I, I don't think relational databases in general, I mean, they're not optimized for that. Right. It, I mean, I don't think it's a, especially if it, this, this is going to be something at any scale, I don't, I don't think it works that well. So I kind of uh, eliminated that. And since this is on AWS, I thought, well, you know, eat, uh, S3 makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fast. It's for basically blob storage, you know, object right. storage. And so the, um, the model I ended up settling on was when you upload a file, it does create, I do have a file table in the database, right? That is the record of you uploading a file and it gets an ID and, Points to the yeah, it's got a user. What you're, you know, who who uploaded it, who owns it, um, what it's attached to is actually in a separate table because, as with Salesforce's new files thing, like you can files can be associated to all kinds of different things, yeah. not just one parent it's like a little junction table. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it also um, actually before it creates a record in that files table, um, what it does is it it sends it to S three. Creates a, just like a random string for the for the key of the mm-hmm. um, of the object, and then it stores that key in the file table. So when someone wants to download the file, a file, and of course it's referenced by like the Postgres ID, but then the application runs out to S3. Well, it pulls up that file table. It gets the S3 object key, mm-hmm. and then just goes and pulls it from S3, and then basically proxies it back. So I'm I'm actually, I'm basically like piping streams. So I'm, you know, doing like basically an HTTP streaming the file from the application, mm-hmm. but it's, it's actually the application streaming it from S3, right? So I'm just connecting these stream, these streams together. Right. Wow. So it pulls, it, so it never pulls like the location it of it 
the app pulls the location of it and the, the app then goes and grabs it from S3 directly? Yep. Okay. Instead of sending what I, what I would have liked to do, because you can do this with S3, because S3 has an HTTP interface, right? You can just do an HTTP get. I mean, you can just link, you can link right to the object in S3. Right. But then you have to either make your bucket read only or uh, oh, yeah. publicly readable, right. which I, I can't do. And there's another thing they have where you can, for any given object, you can say, hey, give me a URL to this object that is publicly available for like the next 15 minutes. I thought, well, that's kind of secure. <laughs> uh, but there's some downside to that. So, you know, let's say someone renders a page, a screen, right? Because this is a web mm-hmm. app. And then they wait more than 15 minutes to click the download link. Right. It's not going to work anymore. That kind of sucks. Yeah. But also, I mean, anyone who gets that link can then go downloading that file for the next 15 minutes. That just, I don't know. It just, I, I'm, I'm sure for some applications, I can't think of one right now, but that, that would work. Well, like if you, when you buy some software and it gives you a, a link to a file for the next 15 minutes, and then after that, you have to request a whole new. And do those work like that? Like just as if you have that. There's some where, yeah. well, actually they're, I think they're usually, they might not be time-based. They might be download-based. Like the, when you hit that link is when it, you can download it once or something. Once or twice, yeah. yeah. No, so yeah, I, I kind of wrote that off, and I'm like, okay, now I'm pretty sure the application has got to be the only thing that can, that can access the, the bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the way it works. And it's interesting. Um, I try to use, um, AWS has like a, a, well, at least for Java, they, their, their Java SDK, it's mm-hmm. like the, it's the, the version two of it is in preview. And it's um, it's based on like re- this reactive streams kind of standard, I guess. Which is interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't fully understand it, but I mean, the reactive stream thing is basically it, it's basically all asynchronous. So, like, anytime you, um, you know, you're you're pushing to a stream or pull, you know, you're receiving from a stream, like you have to do it in an asynchronous and non-blocking way. So, you know, it uses threat. I mean, I think the main the main benefit. Although, in addition to it just being like more contemporary and like the the cool way to do things mm-hmm. uh, with uh, you know reactive everything, is that uh, you you do especially on high volume site you're probably gonna you're gonna, you're gonna use the threads much more efficiently. It's really not a problem for this. But actually, I, I tried to use that preview, but um, all like uh, when I'm looking at like the the Java um, Java docs, mm-hmm. like the API documentation, and it even just like the written guides and stuff, I kept finding like. You know, they'd reference, or it would list, you know, okay, you have to use this class, and so I'd go to use it, and it, wasn't, it wouldn't be there. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And I'd, I would, sure, sure enough, I'd find out that just by, like, spelunking through their GitHub repository that they renamed that class, or they replaced it with something else or whatever. Mm. And then I'm finding out just by looking at this, like, log, because it was on, like, preview 11 or, so, or 20 or something, I don't know, some, and, just, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, this thing is, because preview, I mean, it's like, what does preview mean? Does it mean, like, it's, it's done and we're letting you preview it? Or does that mean this thing is still in a major state of flux? And it didn't really say. But I, but what I was able to determine from from documentation and everything just being not right, and like the code, you know, their releases moving way faster than well, the fact that it was still moving like that mm-hmm. was like, oh yeah, I'm not going to use this because I, I mean, this is a this is kind of a greenfield and its new project, right? So you want to you don't want to immediately start out with the old like the version of an SDK that's about to be right. obsolete. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to try to use this version too, but it's it's in too much flux. 
So I had to go back to one, but it's fine. It all, it all works. No, this, I, I was really happy with the solution. It was really cool. It was like, it works really well. Sounds fun. Yeah. You know, like anytime, I mean, in file uploading, you know, it's always such a pain in the ass because you have to like, you know, deal with multi-part form mm-hmm. crap. And that's always just a pain because like, you, I don't know, get, get your content disposition wrong or something. And then even, and even streaming it back to like when someone requests the file, you know, that that's something that I had to have full control over because I had to have full control over like the headers and how it was streamed and, and all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it ended up being pretty cool. Learned a couple things. But it's just nice working with really good technology. Just trying to rub it in. Huh? I mean, it's just, it's just nice when, you know, really good systems that perform really well and have the features you need. And you have a shot at coding your way around your issues. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. Actually, I mean that, that's the thing. You, I mean, and I'm I mean I'm realistically I'm, I'm building simple apps. I mean, it's not I'm there's nothing. I'm not inventing any technology here. You know, this right. is I'm I'm still. I mean, ninety percent of my job is just gluing stuff together. That's what we. That's what that's what we're doing. You know, I'm not I'm not Richard Socher. <laughs> <laughs> He's a pretty smart cookie. <laughs> yeah, he just he um, he was in the news. Yeah. Uh, what did he? he some there's some like decathlon, like AI decathlon or something where they mm-hmm. had to do like had write something that did, did ten little tasks or something. I'm like, ah, whatever, uh, whatever. You're just jealous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in some ways I am, but he has to probably deal with a lot more crap than I do. I don't know, but maybe not. Maybe we just have to deal with different kinds of crap. Yeah, probably. I'll take my crap over his. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. What are they? What's the saying? It's the, it's the crap you know. It's the devil. Devil you know, right? It's the devil you know. Thought the grass was always greener on the other side. No, that too. John, what have what have uh, interesting programming challenges have you solved in the past week? I hear your um, this community project's going well. Yeah, yeah. Stuff, stuff's working. It's, out. it's live. It's working. We're after you. Uh, <laughs> we're making progress and iterating, and after you. Have done implemented all your crazy hacks to get around various limitations. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of refactoring though. That's good. Yeah, I've been taking the opportunity to refactor a bunch of stuff. I still have another round of refactoring to do for some. Existing Is it like front end code or Apex or? It's all Apex. It's all mm. back end share logic stuff. It, it it's it always sounds, and I I I I never know if I'm going to convey it correctly to the client to how complicated this is. It sounds simple. I'll create a share when this happens, but there's so many dependencies and there's so many things to track. Like this record gets deleted, and and I'm I'm dealing with kind of the abstract here because it's portal users or external users, and I what's on the record is actually a contact ID, and I have to translate that to a user ID, and so now I, I had to I had to create this mechanism that kind of brought those two together, so I can just I basically have like a person object, and I say go get this person, mm-hmm. you know, get it by the contact or get it by the user. So I can kind of normalize that a little bit. Because before I had all this code doing all of these queries saying, is this a contact? Is this a person? Is this, a, is this just an internal user? Is this an external user as well? And yeah. So there, there was just a lot of things I had to just kind of normalize. I mean, in, in the throes of getting stuff done and constant changes, I wasn't able to optimize the code that way. But now that I'm starting to build some more stuff, and I, there's, I've built in a little bit of time to do some of that refactoring, I'm able to do that. Hmm. So. Yeah, community users are it's it's weird because they are they're like a, they're a composite of a user and a contact, and sometimes you need the user portion of it, and sometimes you need the contact portion. Yeah, of it. 
like for for sharing and everything, I need the user, but for displaying information, I need the contact. And it's just, you know, I was just, I had tons of queries and everything everywhere. So it's very leaky abstraction. Yeah, <laughs> that that community user. <laughs> so I'm starting to bring things together. That's good. Um, one area where I'm struggling is um, financial services cloud right now. Hmm. I'm learning a lot about that application in terms of, and it's tough. I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm, we're still working with Salesforce support right now, so I really don't want to throw blame at them. But it's kind of tough working on that system because it seems like there are certain areas of it that weren't built with efficiency in mind. Like, it works. But as soon as you try to layer on your code on top of that, or you try to execute a batch job that modifies those records, it's... It, or you try to um, bulk load data, or uh, bulk, yeah. or, or even like uh, delete things that it never expected you to delete, and then that's when their, their triggers start failing and all kinds of stuff. I've, yeah. I've seen that with other Salesforce. So, so we get uh, those errors, and we go to Salesforce support, and they're like, our code's awesome. You, you must, your code must be it. So we turned off all our code, and of course the errors stop, and I'm like, crap. So now we have no ground to stand on. It's not like I can go to them and say, no, we wrote good code, but your code won't run with our good code. It won't coexist. I, I, I don't see Salesforce going, oh, you're right. Let's go, let's go work together. Isn't this, this is the happy suit problem, <laughs> right? This is part of the happy suit problem. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of this stuff we're having to push out. So, so we had some business logic that would run in conjunction with an integration. So we have the added complication of millions or thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of records imported running our business logic, which then triggers Salesforce's internal managed package stuff. Um, and it's just not efficient. That whole flow of data is just not efficient at all. It's firing triggers multiple times. If their triggers aren't looking to see if it has to make changes before DMLs, or we're all just loosey-goosey with our queries. Did you say what, before it DMLs? Yeah, before oh, that, DMLs. That's a verb. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> you I'm going to go, DNL, I'm gonna go DML that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I use words in creative ways, but... Yeah, so it, it's either that or we just we're all loosey goosey with our queries, and you know, I mean, I can see that I, you know, maybe I have a class that's using one query and they have a class that's using seven queries, but because we're stepping on each other's toes and the and the code is getting run multiple times, now, now we hit a hundred at some point. It's hundred what? Hundred queries. Well, you have separate limits than them, at least on that's one. Of, that's one of the limits where you. It doesn't seem to be the case with this package. No, the only the only <laughs> there's only a few limits that. All the packages combine and use the same set of limits. Uh, the time, I think, CPU time is one of them. I think, I think they have some really inefficient roll-up code. Uh, my suspicion is that it's really bad. Yeah. Because I can't. They they try to run it in a cubeable, but I think it's creating a cubeable for like one record. I think. Mm. Or or it's got these these roll-up jobs or that you can configure, and I wonder for each one of those if it's creating a cubeable. I'm not sure how it works. Obviously, it's a black box. I can't look in it. Yeah. But I have my suspicions that it's doing something. So they don't make the source code available, like on at least on GitHub or something, where you can know. see it. No, no, not that I know of. But again, we're working with it. Maybe I'm doing something, or maybe there's something I can set before I run my logic that will, you know, make things better that they thought of. But it's it's kind of one of those things where we've we've had to go through the tiers of support of people just telling us we're wrong and we're going, we're we're trying to get this to work. And, and it's like, yeah, that's one of those things where, I mean, maybe we, maybe I am wrong. Yeah, but because of how opaque this thing is and the lack of documentation on it, I don't know if yeah. I'm wrong, and I don't know how to because in and of itself, like there's maybe nothing wrong with my code. It's just the it's just the way that 
you know, this code is interacting with your code. Right, yeah. It's I mean, not their, their code could be perfectly right. fine and my code could be perfectly fine or my code could be wrong. But either way, the, the interaction, because I don't yeah. understand what that interaction is or how they end up colliding, I ha there's, yeah. there's nothing I can do. Entering managed package. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I feel like Salesforce support sometimes, I, I, and maybe, maybe it's not their job to do that, but I feel like they don't understand that. All they see is you have custom code, our code tests pass, so it must be you. Yeah. It, it feels like that. Yeah. If, it doesn't feel like we have this working relationship with support sometimes. I, I, I got to qualify that because there are people on the Salesforce side working with us. There are AEs and, and people that are very communicative and they're, they're offering up calls to have support and have additional conversations. So I don't want to paint it as like we're not getting support or this is a bad situation. It's just the process of it kind of sucks. And, and also, I mean, you know, this is a new product. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just... It's, I was just surprised that I couldn't run a batch job against these records. I was like, it, it, it just blocked. I mean, it did the most, what I feel is like the most basic thing, because I think it's failing because when I run it in batches trying to execute a cubable and you can't do that. But when I have code that runs cubables, I check the context to make sure I'm not in a future or, or batch. And, and, I, and a lot of times, I mean, in, unless you just have thought of that or whatever, I mean, customers are going to be, with all these verticals that Salesforce is, you know, I think it's fair to say rushing them to market because when they decided they were going to do verticals, it's like, boom, we're rushing. And like within, I think, less than a year, they've got verticals now. And yeah. it's like, okay. So now we're in, the, we're, in the mo we're in the phase where customers are throwing all kinds of use cases at these packages that they hadn't considered and hadn't, hadn't tested against. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, th this client is, is essentially taking over certain pieces of functionality that Salesforce was providing functionality for as part of the package but we're basically picking it apart and doing our own thing and we're just we're just having all these collisions so what is this give me just a high level like this financial services what's it called cloud yeah financial services cloud yeah who who, who is this for what are, and what what are its high main functions features or whatever um it's just is this wealth management it, it can be it or is can it be. like you can run a bank on it like a, a retail bank you know obviously not right I'm, yeah not really i'm throwing that out, out there isn't it it's more, it's more like the customer-facing side of things. You can do it for wealth management. This company I'm working with does I mean, do... Does, it, does it manage portfolios and, and, and assets and balances and portfolios? And Loosely. I mean, there's other systems out there that do that stuff better and have all the right integrations with all the systems, like your, you know, your 401ks and your, yep. your trading systems mm -hmm. and your mortgage systems. And this, this client actually covers all of it. They do banking, commercial banking, uh, mortgages, wealth management. They, they cover it all. So... But Salesforce really just kind of gives you kind of a central place to kind of view that information. And so we're just kind of using it as a hub for all these different systems and all these divisions to have kind of a single view of the customer. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not bad for that. It's, it's, it's just that we're trying to add additional functionality that it doesn't currently have. Because I think it was mainly built for, like, for wealth management in mind, I think. And we're kind of using it for a lot of lot more financial businesses. I, and I don't know why. I, I've just, I've run across so many different Salesforce customers that are, that were either had built their own like wealth management, yeah. you know, thing in it, or they were using one of the many like App Exchange partners who I guess all got Sherlock by this. <laughs> well, yes and no. Oh, I, the, I the red, what's like red tail? Is that a thing? Red tail, or is that one of them? Red tail's a thing, yeah. I, I don't know how no, is that is that just another CRM? What is that? Uh, it could be something else. Yeah. Anyway, it sounds familiar. But in anyways, 
I think the challenge is, is when you get financial services cloud, it does do a certain amount of things for you. And I found this with health cloud too. It does do a certain number of things for you, but it's very opinionated. And if you want to go against the grain of that opinion, you basically have to kind of pick it apart because there's really no hooks. There's no hooks to say, here's how you replace this function with your business yeah, logic. Yeah. And I think that's what these tools are lacking. It's fine that it's a managed package, but they really should have better documentation and better hooks into it to say, here's how you override this. If you want to, if you want to go rogue, here's mm -hmm. how you override it. Yeah. It doesn't seem like we have that. Either that or just it's not documented well, and I don't, I'm unaware of it. It's probably the the former, but I'm trying to be fair. Yeah, I don't, I don't. No, I think you are. I mean, I think you're. I think you're. Since it sounds like you're trying to keep an open mind, and and the 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 it's, the tough thing is just there's a lot that you just you don't know. There's no way to know it. Yeah. Other than again lucking out and getting like the right engineer on the phone who like built a thing. Yeah. Which they don't like to do. <laughs> you know, Salesforce does not like that. Yeah. They're going to, and imagine if, imagine if your employer hid you from customers as well. Salesforce hides their engineers from customers. That'd be, that'd be, I don't know. In some ways that's pleasant, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Don't they all, it's, they have Trailhead X now. All the, you can go and, Talk to people, right? That's mostly the product managers, right? Yeah, those are like PM and mar those. Even that's more marketing type people. People whose job is to to communicate and evangelize and all that stuff. We're just meant to be hidden behind closed doors. Yeah, I don't know. Just fed through a slot under the door. <laughs> here's your here's your lunch. I guess. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been a challenge. It's a, it's a work in progress, I'd say. But it's tough because. Are they, do they charge for that already? This, these clouds? Yeah. Yeah. What do they charge for them? I don't know. <laughs> I try to stay out of that. But, um, but that is a factor. I mean, they, they buy this, this app and it's got this certain level of functionality. But now we're saying because of your requirements, we need to custom build all that and it's X amount of dollars. So it's, it's tough trying to balance it. And then we'd spend the X amount of dollars and find out we're colliding with Salesforce. And now we're like, okay, now we have to take over this part because it's causing issues. Or, we need to talk to Salesforce and say, is there something we're doing wrong? Can we make this work? Otherwise, we're going to have to find another solution. Yeah. So it's, it's a really tough balancing act right now. And it is, it is a fairly new product, and we're all just trying to cut our teeth on it. I mean, we've, we've been working on it with it for, I've been working with it for, I think, over a year now, that, that product. Um, but it, and it's constantly evolving. So. And does it, was it one of those things where like the, the package just automatically updates in your org? Um. I believe we had cases like that. I don't know what the release cycle is on those, yeah, but I think we had cases like that where a release would happen and it, it somehow like deactivated something or, or did something and we had to go and figure it out. These, these automatic updates, they're, they're a double-edged sword. Yeah. They, the, for me, the biggest problem that that creates is in, um, if you're doing like, if you're tracking all your metadata, you're doing like, you know, full deployments and mm -hmm. continuous integration or whatever uh, is that they'll usually what they'll do is they'll upgrade and it's auto. You can't like, you cannot, I don't think you can opt out of it. They'll push updates to sandboxes first. Mm -hmm. So the sandbox will have, and again, I've talked about before how you basically have to track all managed metadata as well. Because for example, let's say financial services cloud installs a, a, um, Oh, what do they call it? like a custodian object or something, right? Be a thing they would install, maybe. Well, hold on before you get too far. When you say track, what do you mean track? Because you don't have access to the source code. So, 
Uh, no, but like, for, I was, I'm trying to give an example. So okay. let me, let me, I think this will answer that. Let's say they, uh, they had a, the, the managed package has a custom object called custodian. Okay. Okay. Managed object. Um, but you can create custom fields on managed objects. And often you do right. have to, you do need yeah. to, right? That's why you have to track all this, all this managed metadata. Yeah. Because you're going to have triggers that refer to those custom fields on these managed objects and workflow and who knows what else. They're going to be in your page layouts and that's got to be all automated. And you want to know that the whole big ball that you just deployed to QA and was really good, you need to ball, deploy that same big ball of stuff to production. So you have to track all of it. Yep. And the problem comes when, in the sandbox, when they automatically upgrade your package, right? And let's say they, um, what would they do? They'd uh, like add some field or something, right? So those fields are in that metadata object now. And when you got to deploy that production, it's going to say, hey, you can't create managed fields. Right. So now what do you do? Well, you get on the phone or whatever, and you beg them to roll your sandbox version back, or you either beg them to upgrade your production to matching versions. And when you have lots of managed packages in the Can they roll back your sandbox? I don't don't know. I don't think they can. I don't know if they can or not. I think you have to do a refresh, but then if you're in flight with customizations, you have to create a new sandbox, migrate to that. And And what's tough is like as soon as you fix one managed package, like some other vendor pushes an update for another managed package, and it's like you just... How do you, this is, this is madness. And none of these, none of these, none of the tooling fixes any of this. But is, is it madness? I mean, it, it's madness if you're constantly delivering new stuff. But if you're, if you're in an environment where you do it once and then you install it and it's pretty stable, it, it's, it's well, who, not. Who lives in that world? I don't know. There's got to be people out there living in the happy soup, right? <laughs> or they, the system works great. It runs fine. They do a few workflow rules here and there, maybe a process builder here and there. Hold on, I want to get out of saying process builder. A process builder process here and there. Yeah, what are those even called? I, I, the other processes or their flows. I think they're still considered flows. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess, I mean, if you just do everything in production, that's easy. Or for P- orgs that are still low on the maturity model. I guess. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Someone to, someone who, all these people who are, who are deep in the DX and all the stuff, and you're using your, you got continuous integration going, using whatever tool. I, I, like, I want to know how, how are you solving this? How are you I was doing reading this? an article that's talking about how much faster it is to do DX and parallel test runs and for CI and Heroku CI. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. Well, I also hear the opposite of that. Like how, how slow this, all of these DX operations are. And I have no idea why or what, which ones are fast, which ones are slow, but. It's probably just still dependent on systemic issues here and there. I mean, I think I, that's what it is. I huh? had those issues with unit testing, and as soon as I turn on the debug logs, and I haven't really had any issues. Yeah, <laughs> it's just one of those things. But yeah, everything's been running pretty smoothly now. So whatever whatever was the issue the last few weeks has kind of resolved itself because mm. it's it hasn't been. An and issue you don't for know me. why. And I don't know why. You know, I don't know what the issue was. And it's probably going to come back at some it's point. Probably and you back. won't know why. <laughs> it's going to come back when it's like one o'clock in the night, and I want to sleep, but I have to get these tests yep, done. You got a deadline. And, uh, yep. or I got to deploy something and it's taking forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else, John? I, I saw this article that someone posted on our Slack and I wanted to bring it up because it's got some pretty good stuff in it. It's the re-architecting uh, Salesforce Lightning JavaScript for testability. Kevin Viscara. That sounds really awesome. Us. And where did you find that? It was on our Slack channel. Oh, that's super useful. On the Good Day Sir Slack community. Yeah. Um, how do people get in the Slack channel, John? Oh, it's easy. You just go to our website, www.gooddaysirpodcast.com forward slash community, or click on community, enter your email address that goes to me. I add you in manually, so be patient. 
That um, I actually added someone at one o'clock last night because I was still up working. <laughs> yeah, just keeps growing. All right. So what but, was your... um, yeah. So it it kind of starts out with kind of the use case for for how to structure your code so that it can be testable. And I think they're using uh, what is it using for testing? Is it Jenkins? No, not Jenkins. That's a CI thing. Uh, Jasmine. Uh, JavaScript code. Yeah. Okay. Test framework, but. Um, I thought there were some pretty good tips just in general, even if you're not going to be so testing. lightning development he's talking about? Yeah. Okay. And it, it, it reminded me of kind of the way I've evolved the way I developed lightning. So, I, you know, you have the controller, JavaScript controller, the JavaScript helper classes. You're spacing on me. <laughs> I'm, I understand what controllers are. At a, well, in, in the lightning world, it's, it's, it's interesting because you have your component, which is the markup, and that connects to your JavaScript controller, which is the JavaScript page that's attached directly to your component. Then you have the helper, and the helper only exists once. The controller exists for every one of your components. So the helper is like a stateless. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and whereas, so the controller is probably more of the model contains the model, like an, an instance data for the for the component. It's not meant to hold. I mean, I guess you could, but it's not really meant to hold data. It's kind of the it's kind of the interface between your component and what would be your helper. I, I don't know. It, the, the easy way to describe it for me is that for every one of your components that's on the screen, if you have a, if you built a small little widget and that widget is on the page 10 times, you're going to have 10 controller, JavaScript controller classes or mm -hmm. files or blocks of memory, whatever you want to call it. But you'll only have one helper. Okay. And so you just kind of, once you understand that, you kind of try But you'll try have to, 10 controllers? But you'll have 10 controllers. So the controllers so then are bound to state. Yeah. They're, they're, they're tied into state somehow. Or else you wouldn't have 10 of them. State is kind of weird because you basically pass around the component, so you get the component, which I guess is the state that gets passed in your controller, and then you can you have to pass that into your helper because it's the only thing that has the context. Wow, this is so confusing. Yeah, it's it's not like your controller has state and you can say, oh, controller dot this function. You have to access access the component. So the component, the variable, the component variable <laughs> that gets passed around is your state. Hmm. So the controller doesn't really hold anything. It doesn't have properties okay. or variables or anything like that. It's just a Collection of methods, but it's linked to an instance of the component. That's why you have to have ten of them. If you have ten of those components, right? Okay, yeah. So the the framework creates ten instances of those. Yep, um, it's crazy. Um, but the way I've kind of evolved is I've kind of treated them as kind of just interfaces, like API interfaces for the components. So it'll, if I have a click method, then it'll call my controller, and then that controller will kind of take the component and pull out the data it needs from it, and then pass that to the helper. So the helper is less dependent on the component. Is it are they literally called helpers? That's the name of this. That's the yeah. You have name? to call it helper. Huh? Yeah, you're bound by the naming schema helper. too, as far as I understand. It's not that's that's like managers. It's one of those such a. Can we come up with a more specific? Your name component for this? bundle can get pretty hefty because you've got the component, you've got the design component, you've got the uh, the the CSS for it, the style for it, you've got the controller, and then you have got the helper controller, and then if you do a renderer, you've got the renderer. <laughs> can um. <laughs> So you you embed the style in in the component, right? Mm -hmm. um, is there a way to have global styles that apply to like if you just you know let's say you want you're going to create just a bunch of components for your org and you want to have a, a global style sheet that you know styles all of them? You can import your style sheet, your static. You can in, you can import a resource file that has your CSS file. And do into they it. do let's and do all of your components? Do they basically are they all getting their own copy of that? They are, aren't they? Or are they not? I'm not entirely sure. It's a requirement. It's a it's a Lightning requires statement, so it's kind of like a its own importer, yeah. Or um, tag, 
and you tell it what what you require, whether it's CSS or JavaScript. Yeah. And so I assume that just kind of downloads it and it references it. I don't think it creates multiples of it. Okay, that's good. Um, but the problem is it's not scoped to your component. So when you when you add a style sheet to your component, it gets scoped. You have right. to you have to prefix everything um, with dot yeah, that, this. That makes sense. I'm, I'm when the, when I'm talking about having a global, it, it shouldn't be scoped to a specific component because it's more just like mm -hmm. global styles. But if you have an application, if your component sits within it, it's it falls within the scope tree. So you technically it would inherit any. So if you had a, if you create an application. And you had like a everything really is so this, child components. Yes, because I've and, done that. So I've created like a oh, like a oh. layout component and then like an item component, and I'll put like some things that I need to apply to all of these in the layout. Yeah. CSS and, and because you it's, don't have to do anything to, special to get it to pierce. No, because it's all just CSS scoping. It's it's a dot this. Well, you use dot this, but it ends up translating to your component namespace, mm -hmm. and then everything underneath it. And so it, you'll in the DOM you'll see. My top level component CSS, and then you'll see your children. Is there so, a way to say, hey, actually, I don't want my, this parent component CSS to affect children? Not really. Really? It's just using I, it's just CSS. What, it's know, just a thin layer on top of CSS. But like that's totally not the way that web components work in most of the web component like things that are out there. Is that because they're they're kind of heavy with the management of scope? No, it's just that like if you have a component that contains another component, the the parent components. CSS will not does not bleed into the the children. I wonder how it does that though. Um, there's different ways. Um, the backwards compatible way is in um, when it. Oh, let me think about this. The way it, it but you know, so you have scoped CSS. It basically processes your CSS and puts it changes the selectors oh, okay. to be. They have to be like children of the. And it, so it creates basically these some kind of random IDs for all your components, and just they get baked into all these selectors and everything. Mm. But then there's also a, na a more like web component native way. The problem is the most browsers, well, n bleeding edge browsers are new, real new browsers supported, but it's not there yet for all browsers. Yeah, that's not to say Salesforce couldn't go that route, but I, as far as I can tell right now, it's not. It just you, you get a scope for every one of your components, and if you embed a, one component in another component then it's part of the scope tree and it can bleed into it. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I see all these JavaScript frameworks nowadays that, that have this thing where they, all these components are scoped. And you, know, you end up with, I actually think that, that um, promotes bad CSS practices. Like yeah, there's you, end up, you end up there's adding no a lot more of... cascading, there's no more inheritance. Everyone, it's just like for every component, people are you know, reinventing the wheel. And I, and they don't have to. I'm I'm saying I'm you know you can do it, you can architect it well and do it you know right so to yeah. speak. But I just, I, don't, I don't unfortunately that model doesn't promote that. It actually promotes just you know each component having its own CSS instead of thinking about it globally and and not putting a lot of CSS in your components. I mean I've noticed that just with my own code, my code with my code, that if I <clears throat> I'll see a component that's got a lot of CSS and I'm like oh man. I bet a lot of this should be actually global and I should it, you almost kind of like refactor it up to global. Yeah. I've been I've been getting myself in trouble with SAS lately because I've I've built I started I started building out these scoped kind of CSS namespaced things trying to follow BIM and it's just getting way too wordy. I feel like I've over engineered my my styling. I feel like sometimes just a single class with specific class names and selectors is still yeah. still ideal. Mm. 
every time I try to implement something and get creative, I, f- I feel like I over-engineer it. Yeah. And I get to a point where I'm like, this does not make sense anymore. Every once in a while, I'll read, you know, someone's latest, you know, medium post about BIM. And I'll be like, oh, that, you know, I kind of like that. And then later, I'm just like, no, nah, I really don't like it. Because <laughs> oh, you get into a situation where like, well, what am I, do I use an underscore here? Do I use this? This isn't really an, an element. And, and it, on top of it, and I'm, I'm just being picky, but it's it's just ugly to begin with. Like the 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 class names you end up with are, I just find them to be ugly. And I know they're, I I, I understand like, because they're bearing semant- a lot of semantics in these class names. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, the BIM has a very specific model. It's like, you've got a component and you've got variations of the component. You know, it's like, and, and yeah. if your thing that you're doing doesn't fit that, then it's like, what do you, how do I BIMify this? I wanted to do BIM. And then you feel like, now you're doing like a half-ass thing. We're like, well, you look at your CSS and you, some of it's BIM, some of it's not. And you're like, oh, it's just a disaster. And I'm just going back to the way I used to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm at but that happens to me anytime I'm trying to kind of inject some kind of logical schema to, to things that I name it it always it, it seems okay when I first start doing it and then as I start building out and it starts to scale I'm like this is this is not making any sense anymore I don't like this yeah I just I've had to do that with squid because it, there's potential for collisions if you have like page includes in your squid pages yeah. because essentially the page that it's including actually gets injected into the into the DOM. It it doesn't exist like in an iframe. Mm-hmm. So you could potentially have model conflicts in the in the in your JavaScript because it doesn't know what it there's two things named the same thing. Kind of like when when you write code in a in financial services cloud, right? <laughs> <laughs> actually no, I've and it's funny enough, both both the financial services cloud and me have a trigger called well used to a financial account a relationship trigger but because there's we have different namespaces yeah it works but yeah i'm sure that will never confuse anyone ever it confused me because yeah. i saw it in the logs i'm like oh wait a minute, oh, wait a minute. that's finserve yeah yeah <laughs> finserve finserve that's the namespace finserve fintech serve <laughs> i had to get uh is that what the vcs call it no. i had to get the uh, intellij to to learn finserve because it kept uh every time i inspect my code it kept marking it as a misspelling you can you can add it to the dictionary right yeah nice nice enough you can add it to the project dictionary okay so it wasn't a global i guess i could add a global but the project seems more appropriate yeah i don't do that i, I should add things to the dictionary more often than i do i, do, I think i just i see those I, I, hate, I hate seeing I errors i hate yeah. seeing that so i, I have to so things like where, where there's some kind of namespace or some kind of common abbreviation in a project, I'm like, yeah, I know, but just get, just go with it because yeah. it's gonna make my life easier. Did you finish your what you wanted to say about those components? Oh, um, no, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, yeah. So so the way the the way he recommends it in this article is something I've kind of been evolving to as well. Is I try to treat the controller methods as kind of like just events. So it in naming it would be like on click or on menu click or on navigate or something like that. That would be what I'd call the controller method. Okay. And it would do nothing more than take the component, get any data it needed from from the state, and there would be an equivalent um handler on the helper side, on the helper class. So it would so if it was like on click, it might be handle on click. Just, just for sake of argument, it might be handle click ah, or something. Like handlers for your handlers. Handlers for your handlers. Yeah, <laughs> but it you would pass in the information it would need. It wouldn't have to go to the component and try to figure out what it was. That way, 
Because what I, what I used to do is I would just pass the component to my helper and then my helper would pull the information out. But it, it just felt like so much, my helper was so dependent on the component, mm. on the view state. Yeah. I needed it to kind of be not dependent. I wanted it to get fed the information it needed and just work with that. So I try to, when I need to pass an ID to my helper or I need to pass you know, some input that the user put in, I'll extract that at the controller level and then pass that to the helper. Yep. So the helper doesn't have to make references back to the component, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. It still has to have the component for context because it, if it needs to manipulate the DOM for some reason, it, it, it'll need to do that. Um, I haven't really found a good way to call my helper and then have it come back to my controller and then run some more stuff. I guess I could use promises for that, but I haven't gotten into promises. In fact, um, in this article, he does recommend using promises, but he still has the component passed to the helper for context for certain things like showing a spinner or something like that. Mm. So I don't know. I think we're all still trying to figure out the best ways to, to work with this, to, to organize our code. Um, but it, it, it's good because I, I, see, I see some validation and some of the things I've kind of been moving towards in how I structure things. So, and there's a lot of good ideas in here, so I recommend reading it. Uh, and then it does talk about unit testing a little bit. But So who wrote this? Uh, this was Kevin Viscara. Cool. Yeah. Make sure you put a link in the show notes, John. I will. Uh, let's see. You saw the Salesforce getting protested, right? I did. What do you think of that? They had pictures of Parker Harris, uh, Tony Profit, and Mark Benioff. I never thought I would see that. I, I, I you know, I, I wasn't surprised by the protesting, but I was surprised to see they were protesting with, with their pictures. So the first thing I notice is that they have, like, professional signs. They were very professional, weren't they? And there weren't, there weren't that many pe- I think it was like 20 or 30 or 40 yeah. people protesting. It's like there were a lot. So <clears throat> I think I have to stick up for Salesforce a little bit on this one. Well, first of all, it's just like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to piss anyone off. But I think what, they're, what these protesters are accusing Salesforce of doing is it's they're, I don't think they have the facts and they're being a little irrational uh, about it's it's a tough subject to dance around, but I think ultimately they they feel because ICE is using their product, they are therefore supporting ICE. And and when you say when you say that they feel that way, you're actually you're suspending uh, reality and giving them credit that those protesters are actually there because that's what they believe, not because they're being paid to be there by who knows who. <laughs> sure, <laughs> these look like these. First of all, the, they don't look like Salesforce employees. They. Um, most of them were, I think they were all basically anonymous. They wouldn't give their names and they had professional size. It just, it looked like your typical professional. But they were in the heart of Silicon Valley. I mean, that's, they probably just went down to the local Kinko's and they got some professional stuff made. Yeah. But some of them, like this cracked me up. Mark Benioff, stop caging families. (laughs) Like Mark's caging families. I I mean, and the other thing is. Oh, and they scoffed. I, I think in the article they said, one of their comments was, and donating pennies doesn't make a difference. And like the pennies they were talking about was like a million dollars that, that, that they donated to the, like, to the cause. I'm not sure where they donated it to, but it was, it was towards the families or to help the families that, that are impacted well, by so this. Here's, here's, a, here's, I guess, a, a spokesperson for the Tech Workers Coalition, which again, probably paid for these people. Oh, and, and you know, this is one of those things. If you, if you actually want to figure out where these groups, you know, you really basically have to follow the money, which can be hard, but a lot, you know, a lot of these are these like nonprofits, right? Just like 
uh, any nonprofit. <clears throat> and they have to report like where their money comes from. And so you can start chaining these things together. It's, it's pretty interesting finding where the money's coming from. That's what I'm saying. These people are probably just, mm. you know, professional protesters. But uh, this person says, I, I always welcome donations to the groups uh, that are doing good work. And a million dollars is helpful. But sources tell me that it's only a drop in the bucket compared to the money changing hands between CBP and Salesforce. Mm. CBP being Customs and Border Patrol. But you know that that's but that's what Salesforce that's what Mark Benioff does that's what Salesforce does is they they uh, there was a, there was another quote that actually uh, what was it uh, dang wish I could find it but that's how they you know that's their penance so that's their that's how they wash themselves of of any dirty activities they may be involved in or or negative externalities that they're causing on their environment is they just give money to people and to organizations. Oh, it's like the the, the zero uh, carbon emissions by buying a bunch yeah, of credits exactly. type situation. Kind of. Let's see if I can find this. Um, da 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 da. Vamp for me, John. Oh, I didn't know you were going to pause oh, that long. Yeah, here we go. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hopefully everyone's using that... Uh, Fast play or whatever on oh, yeah. and cuts all the <laughs> cuts the space out. Yeah. So Benioff has donated money on behalf of Salesforce to a number of charities, including local hospitals, which former city district supervisor Christine Olag acknowledged. But she said Benioff shouldn't stop there. Quote, it isn't good enough, or is it, it isn't enough for you to try to buy your way to heaven and buy your way out of this issue. Why does it always seem like it's never enough? When you do something good, it feels like there's always someone saying you should have done more. Well, because there's always that perspective of, oh, you're not doing good. You're, you're on, I mean, the only reason you're doing good is because it benefits you 10x. Kind of like the whole Elon situation? Uh, I don't know. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just giving perspectives here. I'm not saying that I... I'm just saying that those, those are two examples of where people well, are does, trying to do good and they're trying to do something positive, and yet they're, they're still getting criticized for not doing enough. Yeah. Or... or, or being labeled as doing it for ego or pu publicity. Well, yeah, or when you do it for long reasons, or if you want it too bad. I mean, this this whole thing with we haven't really talked about it, but the, you know how Tesla had this real crunch period last month where they had to make what was it five thousand something like that? Yeah, model what was it model three? Model threes. Yeah, and it's just like well, first of all, without we don't have to get into that, but I sure as hell would not want to get one of those cars that was that they built. I had that the period. same thought. I'm like, I don't want the crunch period stuff. <laughs> I don't either. I, I've, I've been in manufacturing. I know what crunch period stuff looks like. Exactly. No unit test on that car. <laughs> <laughs> it boots and passes. Yep. Anyway, um, yeah. I, you know me. I'm not. It's not like I shy away from being critical of of some of Salesforce's activities and Mark Benioff in particular, but this was just... I'm just surprised. I this mean, was AstroTurf. Is that the term they use for it? I guess. This is BS. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that people don't have legitimate concerns about, like, who Salesforce is doing business with. I actually... I think there's a lot of concerns about who Salesforce does business with. But this group, I think, was... seemed very AstroTurfy to me. Mm. It just didn't look real. Those didn't look like, I don't think those were Salesforce employees out there holding those professional signs and... Yeah, I, did, I actually didn't pick up on the fact that they look so professional. They have a banner and everything. Yeah, it was... I mean, this was... This took some effort to organize. Well, they even said... They even listed, like, the name of a couple of these organizations that were that had organized this. You know, they bust these people in, pay them 100 bucks for the day, and give them nice-looking signs, and tell them not to say their names. Yeah. 
That's that's the formula, John. <laughs> well, did you see the? Uh, they must have uh, hit another embargo or released another embargo on bots and service. Uh, ser- I did. That was was that today? Came out, just yeah. What do you what do you make of that? I don't know. I was, I was, I was, boss, just, right? I was just doing my normal. Oh, we got to record. I better find something to talk about. <laughs> yes. Check the news and just saw like ten articles in a row about service and bots and AI. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Posted uh, at like five a.m., one a.m., two a.m., and they all say pretty much the same thing. I thought I saw something about. And by the way, was it GeekWire? Yeah, so who covered this? Uh, GeekWire, Business Insider, ZDNet, VentureBeat, NewsWire, okay, Tech at, Republic. Look at GeekWire's. Did you see that? Did you look at their article? Yeah, they, they actually say that they're annually sponsored by Salesforce or something I mean, yeah, like that. Or? Now, you got to give them credit. They actually say it. I mean, the, the, and I don't know if all of their articles are like this, only certain ones, but I mean, the article is presented by Salesforce. So that, that, um, I mean, there's, there's a byline which, uh, of, a, of a quasi-journalist. Yeah. Um, In fact, that's the one I'll link to. Because they were, they were honest enough to disclose. Real journalists, Richard, they're tech journalists. It's got a byline, right? But, then, but it says presented by Salesforce. And at the bottom, there's, there's basically this ad. You know? yeah, Salesforce is post. ready for you. We pioneered the shift to cloud, social, mobile, and data science technologies. And we've been disrupting enterprise software ever since. Blah, 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 blah. Disrupt all the things. Oh, it's actually hiring. They're trying to hire. Um, yeah, well, so what do you, what do you make of this? Uh, it looked like, was this now, um, I, I thought I saw one thing say that it actually just applied to uh, Commerce Cloud and I think Marketing Cloud, these, these bots, which makes sense. Yeah. Because that's where you'd really want bots, right? Interacting with basically consumers. Sure, if you, if you want to hand over your customer experience to a bot, but sure. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Is it, is it good enough? I mean, and it, in some ways, can a bot do a better job? I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, and I also saw some, some, they were talking about how, you know, Salesforce is really late to the game on this when you look at the other companies and social companies or whatever that... Why does everyone have to be first? I'm I'm kind of getting tired of it. I don't know that you do. I mean, and I feel like Salesforce definitely doesn't, I mean, they they don't have that philosophy of we have to be first, do they? I don't think so. Well, yeah. They're the first, first cloud computing. Beware the false cloud, Jeremy. That's all debatable too, but yeah, I mean that, that's fine. They were they were certainly early on with software as a service, right? It just seems like a bogus. Like but, you're really reaching when you. That's your argument is oh they were they late they were late to the game. Like Apple releases a feature. Well, Android's had that for ten years. Yeah, huh, huh. And, and that, like well that, so? that wasn't what this was. They were just pointing out how not that Salesforce wasn't first, or they didn't they didn't even say who was first. They just listed all these companies that have been doing this for years now, and, and how Salesforce is kind of late to that. But let's see. But it didn't seem like anything new. It's just, just a, I mean, like nothing new or revolutionary. It's just, you know, they, they talked about flows. The bots is probably... Yeah, what's, the, what's lightning flow? Is, I think it's just flows. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's just, it's just flows. <laughs> it's so, flows with the lightning skin. It says it's launching without a voice input option or ability to share photos or videos. Features that are, in, that are common on other bot platforms. Yeah, that that would be the bot technology specifically. And then they got they got they layered in Einstein in there for like next actions and I'm sure sentiment analysis and things like that. But here we go. Salesforce's bots are being made available years after companies like Facebook Messenger became smitten with the idea of reshaping interactions between customers and businesses. But didn't we already decide that bots was a failure? Well, I don't know. I still haven't seen it. I mean, supposedly, yeah, Facebook is like 
they're the king of bots. I mean, they've got like the best bot, talk, bot technology in the world. I st- st- and I use bot Facebook talk technology. But yeah, but <laughs> I still haven't seen a bot on Facebook. Maybe I have, and I don't. I didn't know it. Where do you? Where Maybe do I it's go- so revolutionary you didn't know you were using. Where a bot? do I go to interact with a bot on Facebook? Someone tell me. Facebook entirely is a bot. It's just maybe so. It's just it is a bot. The whole thing is a bot. <laughs> well, it certainly feels like it's watching me because it is all the time. Uh, let's see. Others others now in this space include WhatsApp Business, Android's RCS messaging, Twitter, Microsoft's Bing Business Bot Service. Wow, that's quite a it's quite a what do you call it? A, an alliteration. The Bing Business Bot Service. <laughs> but Bing Bang Bow. <laughs> Sounds like a snake oil salesman back uh, in the day. <laughs> Sorry. Should have put Let's a zing see. in your zinger. Okay, here we go. Einstein customer service bots can incorporate intelligence from the Salesforce CRM system and can be programmed to carry out automated conversations or hand off a conversation to a human agent. Can I do that? Can I just do the handoff? It's kind, of, it's kind of like when <clears throat> you hear an automated system, you just automatically hit zero. And then it says Einstein Agent and Einstein Answers, which also debuted at Dreamforce, are still pilot programs. So those are two new, two new things. They talk a lot about this next, next best action. So I guess at any point in time, it just, it's recommending like, oh, here's what we should do next. Yeah. Here's what we should have this person do. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. Einstein took I don't know the if wheel. I, yeah, I just, I don't have, I don't, I don't think I just, I just don't work in this space. I don't have people that are doing this kind of stuff. It seems like a big, it's like a big retail thing to me. It's mainly retail. Yeah. And support, I guess it would be a support thing too, right? I, I, I don't know that I'm interested in that kind of thing, yeah. to be honest. I don't, I don't know if that type of work interests me. I, I'm in, I'm an employee. So I guess if I'm told to care about it, I, I would care about it, but yeah, I wouldn't seek out customer service i just yeah i mean i mean it worked I in customer service CRM. we've I built mean, support sites before yeah. but i mean crm is basically at least the modern crm is is about how to sell more stuff to people that don't want it yeah do you like that not really <laughs> maybe we should change the subject <laughs> it's getting depressing it is hey texas is america's top state for business you see this cnbc does this thing they've been doing it for i don't know a couple of decades but texas is uh, number one and texas has had this number one spot four times before yay texas yeah um let's see we've added uh, 350,000 jobs in the past year largest increase in the energy sector um one in seven jobs created in the united states in the past year was in texas hmm. we're home to 39 companies in the s&p 500 um yeah i wonder how many of those are in this area that we're in right now um like in dallas area yeah we got at&t it's in dallas isn't exxon mobile in dallas ti is in dallas um neiman marcus is in dallas right mm-hmm. heb is austin there's a lot of them here yeah didn't liberty mutual just move here i think so yeah they're in legacy west yeah toyota is here is that just a campus or is, yeah, that's just a, is that like the US home or Toyota? Is, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. US headquarters. Okay. It's time a good to, place. Time, time to go buy some some Toyota and keep stimulating the economy, right? Yeah, I guess so. It's a good place to live. Good place to be right now. Especially if you already own property. I don't know. 
No? Depends if you can pay your property taxes. Well, that's true. <laughs> you know, that's funny. That's something that, and I just learned this about California. The way their property tax works is when you buy property, you get locked into that value. And that's what, you, that's what the, your property tax is based on until, that proper, until you sell the property. So the, the, wow. the problem is, is a lot of these people have owned property for a long time. And, you know, it may be worth two and a half million dollars right now, but when they bought the house, it was, you know, they paid 180000 for it. And mm-hmm. they're paying tax on, they're not paying a tax on 180000 because I think it can go up, I think it's one or 2% a year, but it's still, you know, maybe paying, they're paying tax on effective value of like 360000 when they should be paying tax on two and a half million. But I would argue that the real value is the original. <laughs> the real value is what someone is willing to pay for it, John. Right? Well, people need to stop buying stuff in well, California. I that place is way too expensive. <laughs> well, why do people keep building extremely tall towers to employ more people there then? Because they can only build up. They can't build out. Yeah, but people need somewhere to live. Did you, can, did can you, you see, live in the tower? I saw this video. I didn't know that the, the tower had a screen on the top. Yeah, it's pissing people off too. Because <laughs> it it's the, the mushroom cap. Yeah. <laughs> It seems like a lot of electricity usage. And also it can do, it's, you know, it's like a screen almost. So it can do yeah. little animations and video and stuff, I guess. I thought we were all trying to be a little eco-friendly no, I, just, I saw people, you know, San Francisco residents that complain that they, they can see it like piercing through their mirror, their windows at night and stuff. They should, they should watch it. <laughs> Gets you in. Yeah. Puts you to sleep. It's like, the, what do they call the baby thing that hangs over the... Isn't, just that, isn't the top part the mindful mindful area? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, so it's yeah. the Ahana zone. They're just something. trying to spread mindfulness. It's just a beacon for mindfulness. Yeah. Uh, I'm running out of... Speaking, speaking of that, and actually what we were just talking about, I have a, I have a topic on that matter, or this little thing. So on the, mindfulness? The assessed value of all Bay Area property soared to $1.72 trillion in 2018. Up seven seven point eight percent from in a year, despite the uh, all the wildfires. Hmm. It took out like Sonoma. This is interesting. Um, so out of all these uh, Alameda, Contra Costa, Marin, uh, Marin, Napa, San Francisco, San Mateo, Santa Clara, Solano, Sonoma counties. Um, guess which one increased the most over the past year? Sonoma, San Francisco. How? Because people... It's some, landlocked. Someone, someone <laughs> built a giant tower to employ like 10,000 more people that have to live somewhere. Yeah, we saw those new buildings, those new little, I don't know what you call them, condos, high-rise condos yeah. that were getting built. And also, San Francisco just elected a new mayor. Um, and it was interesting because I saw that she just barely like eked out the victory. Oh, so that wasn't Benioff's candidate. I don't know who he supported. He supported the, the former mayor. Oh, no. Was that governor? Who is he supporting? He, supported, he put money behind, a, I think, governor, maybe. Oh, he's probably supporting like Gavin Newsom or something, because he used so. to be the uh, San Francisco mayor, I believe. Yeah, San Francisco posted the largest percentage increase, 10.8%, same as last year. The city's most valuable building is now Salesforce Tower. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's funny they don't, they don't own that tower. It's not their tower. No, it's just it's just they just they have naming rights. Yeah. yeah, it's the what's it called? The Trans Trans Bay Union Station or something like that. Mm. No, it's got some some name. Or it used to. Still became Salesforce Tower. <laughs> uh, new surface came out. Do you see that? A little a smaller surface. I did. What do you think of that? 
$399. Pretty cheap, huh? I mean, I compared guess. to iPads or no? I don't know. I mean, 10 inch I'll, screen? I'll be looking for an iPad. My, my kids' school, they use iPads. I think these services are pretty good. I, I, you know, I like the idea that there's someone else building things competitive to iPad to keep, to, you know, just to keep Apple in check to have some nice, healthy competition. You know what I don't like about them? The keyboards. Uh, oh, really? The for the Surface? They they say they have you know like typical laptop style keyboards and not these crappy laptops we have the, mm-hmm. the like scissor switch scissor mechanism mm. keys that are have you know the typical travel of a yeah. laptop. Have you tried the new one? The new? I don't know if they. I don't, I don't know if the keyboards for this are new. I think they are though. I want to check it out if you're interested. Maybe. Uh, that whole switching ecosystem, that's the hard part, though. Like, I've thought about getting one just because I've, I'm so unplugged from everything going on on Windows right now. Aside from Windows 10 VM that I have installed, I'm, I feel really out of, out of place when it comes to Windows. Yeah, I am too. I've, I've kind of given up. I just don't have time. I know, you know, I know Windows has gotten better, a ton better since I've used it and everything, and it's just competent. I mean, I can tell you just from looking at Windows, though, there's just still fundamental design aspects of windows the how the windowing system works and, and just also the aesthetics of windows I, I don't care for as much as yeah i guess at least mac os but i think Do the they under- have a dark mode that's what matters most <laughs> that's all that matters now dark, yeah, mode. dark mode john I didn't, I didn't know i wanted dark mode until i got dark mode yeah that's uh i think i'm, I'm running out of energy i didn't have much to start with i have two anything else you want to cover Nope. All um, right. We talked about Slack. So um, if you're interested in joining our Slack, you're more than welcome to join uh, and just you know participate, or you can just lurk. That's fine. So there's some useful stuff there. We do have some ground rules, though. You can't just get in there and start advertising or spamming. Or if you're a recruiter, you know, be, you know tread tread lightly if you're a recruiter. <laughs> We, we do allow people to post, you know, first party. Is that what they're called? Like first party job so. postings? Like if you're hiring, if your company's hiring. But, yeah. you know, no, definitely no third party stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like we hardly have any problems with people. It's a very, very well-mannered group. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I know we have, we still have emails to get to. Yeah. That's why I said, oh crap. Cause we forgot yeah. to get to those, but, yeah. um, I'll make it a point to make sure we you get to You got to put those. that on your and you're, make, you, make yourself an Evernote right now for episode 181 and put that at the top of it. We will get to those. And we do really appreciate those. I don't use Evernote. Those. I use Bear. Whatever you use. No. You like bears. I like bears. Um, no, we really appreciate those. And if, if you would like to email us, it's info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. We, we enjoy getting them. And uh, you can send us topic ideas or questions, feedback, whatever. We also love getting reviews. We really appreciate them. They make us a... I don't know. They, you know, they they supposedly help. The they help people. They're good for the ego. They also help other people find. It's it's part of the it's part of the AI, John. It helps other people find the show. Can you know, there the are game. there are five million Salesforce developers now. We don't even have a a small fraction of those that I listen know. to the show. Five million because they don't. They must not know about it. They must not. So yeah, reviews help, or even just even just clicking the stars. You know, all the stars, all the hearts, all the love. We really appreciate it. <laughs> and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>